0: Thanks, Joel. Um, So um, we're going to be reading from uh, John 6, uh, starting at verse 22 and through to the end of the chapter. So that's John 6 uh, from verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him uh, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who, who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do? And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread uh, bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He, was, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him.
1: Pete, thanks so much, thanks so much for reading the passage verse. Uh, really well read as well. Uh, the question we're going to consider this lunchtime is this. <clears throat> How do you stay when everyone has fallen away? How do you stay when everyone has fallen away? Uh, Let me tell you about my friend called James. James was a chap that uh, we met before we started work, and we wanted to stay Christian when we entered the workplace. So we decided to read a Christian book on the topic of work. When we started work together, we started a Bible study group in the office, and he was even brave enough amongst a whole group of people uh, to tell them that his passion in life was to glorify God. six months later, he confessed that he stopped going to church and eventually he stopped coming to the Bible study and he fell away. See, the thing that really shocked me was the speed in which that happened. It was six months and he fell away. And so that's the question we're going to consider. How do you stay when everyone has fallen away? How do you stay if a close Christian friend falls away? Someone who encouraged you when you were younger, but says it's no longer relevant now that she's older? How do you stay if your spouse falls away and wants nothing more to do with Jesus at home? How do you stay if your pastor or your vicar falls away? The one who taught you the Bible no longer thinks it's true. How do you stay if the big Christian institutions of our age falls away, a veneer of religiosity, but underneath, denying the authority of scripture. So how do you stay when everyone has walked away? My guess is that most of us, at one point in time in our lives, would have experienced a close friend or someone close to you walk away. And in those painful, confusing moments, how Will you stay. Well, this is the issue that John wants us to consider today in John chapter 6. You see, the Jews, God's own people, they didn't stay, uh, they walked away from God. Last week, we saw there was a new Exodus rescue promised in the Old Testament. The Jews, uh, they were the ones who didn't participate in it. But this week, uh, we understand why they rejected him. Uh, The series, we titled it The Anatomy of Unbelief, and from this week onwards, we start digging deeper and analyzing unbelief. So what was true for his own people, the Jews, is also true for the world today. So the key thing to understand, uh, to stay, uh, John wants you to understand that understanding unbelief will help you to stick to Jesus. Well, as Pete was reading. I'm sure you realize that today's passage is quite a difficult passage. It's really long, lots of tricky bits, and I'll do my best to help us. Um, so do put your thinking caps on. And I wonder whether when Pete was reading, you noticed the shift in the crowds. Uh, there were dwindling numbers as the passage went on. Verse 22, uh, the crowd went to him. But by verse 41, the crowd is specified as the Jews. And you go to verse 60, and they become his disciples. Then verse 66, his disciples turn away, and we are left with the 12. See, the crowds, they start out really curious, but they progress to grumbling, and then to leaving. And so we will understand how the 12 stuck to Jesus, despite all falling away. And so the first thing we need to understand about unbelief is this, that people, people crave for perishable bread. Uh, If you were with us last week, you remember the passage, Jesus fed the 5,000, and they wanted to make him king by force. Today, the great feast, uh, the day before, was a distant memory, a sweet dream. Uh, It's a new day. The crowd have woken up. They've done their morning stretches, and they hear a loud rumble in their tummies. They are hungry, their bellies are empty, and they want to eat. Look down to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Do you notice Jesus, he exposes, um, exposes them for letting their bellies uh, direct the actions. Uh, they were seeking perishable bread. Uh, they wanted to fill their bellies. But not just seeking perishable bread. Uh, they, were, they were craving for it. And notice how the con- conversation continues. Look down to verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? You know, when the Jews they ask, what work must we do? They seem potentially interested. But notice what Jesus says after that. He doesn't speak about food, but he speaks about belief. And immediately they start challenging him. What sign do you perform? What work do you do? No belief. My belly please. They're hungry. They want to be fed. But even more extraordinarily is that they challenge him with scripture. Now look down to verse 30 again. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You notice what they were doing. Uh, Moses fed our fathers with bread from heaven. Jesus, are you going to do the same? Are you going to feed us again and again? See, they were craving for food. And it's really audacious if you think about uh, think about it. In verse 14 in the previous passage, they called him the prophet. Yet, this passage, they are challenging him with scripture. They're so greedy that they are twisting scripture to manipulate Jesus to fulfill, to fill their bellies again. Moses fed them. Are you going to feed us, Jesus? People, well, people crave for perishable bread. And so that is the first thing to understand about unbelief. Uh, People crave for things that perish. A bread, you might say, is a symbol for this perishable world. Stuff that people spend their lives chasing after. In the workplace, the latest watch, the clothes, the wine, the home improvements. And I'm sure you see it in your own office. The next upgrade, the next holiday, the next gadget. See, it describes the world. It doesn't matter whether you are an upper class or middle or working class. Everyone craves for the perishable stuff. It doesn't matter if you spend a lot of money or you save a lot because both are symptoms of craving. See, we need to understand the unbelief of the world. And the first thing to understand is that people crave for things that perish. And that gives us a clue why people fall away. Because they love, they crave for what this world offers, the material stuff, the comfort. Well, but if Jesus is not offering, um, filling the bellies, what is he then offering? That's where we come to our second point for today. Well, oh, Jesus, he offers true bread. Uh, the next section, I think is a really tricky section. Um, I think the best way to understand what's happening from verse 34 to 59 uh, is to see him expounding his statement in verse 32. Let me read from verse 31. Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus corrects them. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And I think what Jesus is doing in the next conversations are three more conversations that he has with the Jews. He's expounding each point, "My Father gives," point one, second point, true bread from heaven." and the third point, to eat." Let's see how this works. Uh, firstly, "My Father gives." Look down to verse 34. They say to him, "Sir, give us this bread always." Jesus said to them, "I." I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, technically it's not Jesus who gives, but it's the Father who gives Jesus. And he is the true bread, the bread of life. But what is the outcome of the Father giving? Uh, two outcomes. One, all that the Father gives, the Son would never cast out. And not only will he never cast out, verse 39, he will raise them up on the last day. And there's assurance in the fact that his father gives. Just a slight application here. Uh, many of you would know that these verses may be, um, are used as proof texts for the doctrine of election. Uh, some really love the topic, some really hate it. Uh, personally, I think election uh, is clear. And so is human responsibility. Um, whoever believes, uh, my father gives. But I want to suggest that that is not the issue here. Uh, the fact that God gives is the premise that both the Jews and Jesus, they already agree on. See, it was true for the time of the Exodus. God gave them bread from heaven, um, from heaven to eat. But it's also true here. God gives them true bread. And of course, it has to be God-given. Um, any miracle is God-given, uh, regardless whether it's man in the wilderness or Jesus, the true and living bread, both are a gift. But rather, in this passage, it's meant to be an encouragement, a comfort. Whoever comes to me, I will never cuss out. I will lose nothing, no one. Even when all walk away, he will never Cast you out. Well, but how can this uh, how can this guy be from uh, from heaven? I mean notice the Jews they don't take issue with the father giving, but the fact that Jesus comes from heaven. Look to verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And so Jesus, he unpacks the next point. My father gives, but secondly, that he's the true bread from heaven. And he answers that question by contrasting himself with perishable bread. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, True bread and living bread contrast what their fathers ate in the wilderness. Uh, They died. See, evidently, manner, as miraculous as it was, um, didn't help their forefathers live forever. And so the point that Jesus is making here, that all that this world has to offer, all that this perishable world has to offer, doesn't give life. And the world knows that. Uh, the world knows that the stuff in this world does not satisfy. So Jesus says, think about it. The fact that this world, the perishable world, doesn't satisfy points to something greater. And so he says, I'm the true bread that has come down from heaven. Well, but I guess that raises the final question. Um, if Jesus is the true bread, how do you eat him? Uh, strange, strange, bizarre verses. Look down to verse 52. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I mean, what is going on? Sounds extremely bizarre. But maybe the context here is crucial. I remember the backdrop of chapter 6 is the Passover. Uh, the Passover feast. And the key event in the Passover is eating the Passover lamb. Uh, eating in the Passover lamb is how you participate in the Exodus, uh, both in the Old Exodus, but also in the New Exodus. See, Jesus, the true bread, the true Passover lamb, needs to be eaten. Uh, look at verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him. As the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. See, so because Jesus is life and the father gives him life until we consume him, um, he abides in us. That is how we attain life. Eating, abiding in Jesus is essential. Um, Of course, eating here is metaphorical and not literal. Uh, You'd be be glad to know. Uh, You can see that in verse 40. uh, He says in verse 40, uh, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Same language as in verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh, Believing in him and feeding on him is metaphorical. Um, They're synonymous for each other. But then you might ask why? Uh, Why does Jesus describe believing him in such graphical language? My suggestion is this, uh, because believing in him, is synonymous from eating his flesh, that enables participation in this new Exodus rescue. You see, to participate in the old Exodus, you need to eat the Passover lamb. Uh, But for the new Exodus, uh, you don't have to eat the lamb, but you have to believe in Jesus' words. Feeding is no less important. Uh, Just not lamb chops, but Jesus' words. And so it expands uh, the scope of participation to the whole world. But anyone can believe in his words. And so join in this new Exodus rescue. Let me try to summarize what we've seen so far. Uh, My father gives true bread from heaven to eat. That is what Jesus is offering. And I think those two points, they help us to understand um, unbelief. And it's really clarifying because the reason why people reject Jesus is not because the, the offer that Jesus is offering is not good. It's eternal life. It's not because Jesus explained it badly. Notice as the crowd got smaller and smaller, what Jesus says gets clearer and clearer. The more he speaks, the more people walk away. So it's not because his words aren't clear. It's because people are craving, yearning, lusting for perishable bread. Consuming stuff, accumulating stuff, bread that doesn't satisfy Always hungry, always thirsty. Bread that doesn't give life. This is why people choose not to believe in Jesus. I started this talk by sharing about my friend uh, James, um, and he walked away um, after a really quick six months. And I spoke to him and asked him why. It turns out that he started dating a non-Christian colleague and he couldn't bear the thought of breaking up. And I spoke to him and asked him, well, what made you follow Jesus in the first place? He said, well, when I was younger, I wanted a way of life uh, that works. But now that I've found someone, I don't need him anymore. You see, that's a tragedy, uh, because Jesus offers not a way of life, but something much better. Uh, His father gives so that no one will be cast out assurance certainty comfort he gives true bread anyone who eats will live forever i am the bread of life who comes to me shall not hunger whoever believes in me shall never thirst well that's a lot to chew on um, just um for this lunchtime Two quick thoughts for us as we think before you go back to work. Uh, Firstly, a challenge. You notice by verse um, 60, uh, the crowd has reduced to um, a group called his disciples. I look down to verse 60. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 61, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Look down to verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, in one sense, this passage is a self-selecting passage. As you hear the words of Jesus, do you want to walk away or will you stay? See, if Jesus' words, they feel a little offensive, Uh, the suggestion is that why don't you think about um, his analysis of unbelief? Uh, Do you love perishable bread a bit too much? Please don't hear me say there's anything wrong with enjoying God's good gifts. Uh, There's nothing wrong with being in his creation and enjoy the things that he's given to us. But what I am saying is that occasionally it's good to check ourselves. Because this passage shows that it's mutually exclusive, you either love and crave for the fruit that perishes, or the true bread, uh, the true bread that comes from heaven. Lastly, an encouragement for time. Uh, Peter's example but there in verse 67. Jesus said to the twelve, "Do you want to go away as well?" Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life." And we have come and believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter's acknowledgement gives us the insight of how to stay, that no one else offers eternal life. So he can stay, and so we can stay. Even as a close friend, a spouse, a mentor, a pastor, an institution, or the world walks away, it's only Jesus' words that offer eternal life. Why don't I pray first? Father, praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is the bread from heaven, that whoever comes to him will never be hungry, and whoever believes in him will be satisfied. And so we ask that we might be those who stay with him. In Jesus' name. Amen.